0: Good evening, it's good to be back with you. If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, continuing the series in 1 John this evening. The sermon text is 1 John 1, 5 to 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Last... Time we I was preaching we did verses one through four, we'll read those. um, But the sermon text is five through seven this evening. So let's read God's word, First John one, and I'll read one through seven. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And now the sermon text. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And thus ends the reading of the word of God this evening. Please receive it as such, and let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this text this text of scripture uh, that we'll be going through here momentarily. I pray that you will help me to uh, teach it plainly and clearly, that, the, uh, that your word will come out uh, clearly to the congregation here, that we would all receive it, that we would all meditate on it, and take this text to heart, as in it we have a test uh, for ourselves to see whether or not we truly have fellowship with you, whether or not we really are in the faith. And I pray that we will examine ourselves as we examine this text, and we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. I grew up in a Christian household, and I went to a Christian school uh, my entire upbringing as a a child, all the way through high school. Um, But throughout all of, well, most of that time, I was not a believer. I, I wasn't saved. But if you would have asked me during that time, hey, are you a Christian? I would have undoubtedly said, absolutely, of course. What do you mean? No question about it. But I wasn't really. I wasn't really born again. I wasn't a true Christian. I didn't really see the depths of my sin. I wasn't repentant of my sins. I did not see my need for the grace of Jesus and the free gift of salvation by his shed blood. I didn't see that. I didn't have a genuine love for God. When I was 17, however, God did actually save me. He did actually make me born again, and it scared me. It scared me tremendously because I realized then that all of my life previously, I thought I was a Christian, was very much convinced of that that fact, but in reality wasn't one. I went to the Christian school, grew up in, in good churches, but all that time it was fake. And I didn't even know it. And then soon after I was saved, as I mentioned, I went to a Christian school. I realized that many of my classmates, many of my schoolmates, with similar upbringings to me, were just like me. Most of them weren't truly saved either. Most of them weren't repentant for their sins. Their lives, like mine had been, were characterized by sinful talk and sinful behavior, hypocrisy, and all the rest. And I have the suspicion that, le- that they, like me, didn't realize it, that they weren't really saved, that they didn't, had no idea. So then my high school became my first mission field. And quickly, one of the main points of First John became very important to me. The question of this is, how can somebody know if they truly are saved? That question became essentially and uh, vitally important to me because I thought, wow, I didn't even realize it. And John tells us here in the book of First John, at the end of it, that's one of the purposes that he writes this book. In 1 John five thirteen he says, "...these things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life." So knowing that you have eternal life, or assurance of salvation, is one of the main goals that John has for us in this book. And what we're going to see this evening is that here in the beginning already in chapter 1, he's going to start providing us with tests to see whether or not we really do know the Lord, whether we really are saved. In the first four verses of the book that we covered last time, he's already told us that you have to believe in the true Jesus, who's truly God, truly man, because in him and in him alone is eternal life found. And it's this Jesus that, that, that John proclaims, the message of Jesus that he proclaims to his audience. And he says, if you believe the message that the apostles proclaim, then you do actually have fellowship with God. That's what we see there in verse 3. Of chapter 1. God will accept a person into fellowship with him through believing the gospel of the saving work of Jesus Christ. So, fellowship with God means that you know him. It means that he knows you, that you are his, that you are saved. Either you have fellowship with God or you don't. Either you're saved or you're not. And the point of this book is to know whether or not you really are saved, whether you have that fellowship with him. It's one of the main purposes here, as we noted earlier. So here in the verses that we're going to look at this evening, he gives us the first test to know whether you have fellowship with God or whether you really are saved. But before we go into the text, it may even seem strange to you at first to say, why do I have to ask the question, how do I know that I know I have eternal life? How do I know that I know? Isn't it good enough to say, well, I think I'm a Christian, so I am one. A lot of people might just think, well, doesn't that seem good enough to me? I think I'm saved, so I am saved. You, you might even say, well, no, I know that I'm saved. But do you know that you're saved? So he tells us he wants us to know that we know that we're saved. So we, we have to ask the question, how do I know that I have fellowship with him? So why would John write a letter for that purpose, how, that we know that we know him? And this is the reason why, and it's a, it's a frightening truth, but one we have to realize As he tells us here, as we'll look at this text next time, but we can be self-deceived. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are truly saved and not be. We won't won't cover this this evening, but look at verse 8 real quick of the first chapter. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. James also provides us with a similar idea. He says, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You mean you can really convince yourself that you really are saved and and in reality, in actuality, not be? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why this book is saying you have to test yourself to see whether you really do have eternal life, whether you really are saved. One can be a Christian, or one can claim to be a Christian, rather, claim to be saved. It can claim that they know God, and in reality, that they, they don't. That's the issue. The real concern here is that one can be a church member and not really be saved, right? They can be a member of the visible church, but not a member of the invisible church. They can claim to be born again and yet be unconverted. You mean that you can be a member of a Reformed church, um, a church with an interest in the doctrines of the Bible, and still not be saved? You better believe it. There's no exception for Reformed churches either. This is a, a real reality. We all have to examine ourselves. Jesus himself warned of this reality of people thinking that they're saved, but aren't. In Matthew seven twenty one, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." So they'll say, Lord, Lord, they'll, they'll claim that they love Jesus, they'll claim they're submitting to his lordship, that they're doing things for him, and he says he does not know them. In reality, they never knew him either. See, the truth is, claiming to be saved doesn't make you saved. There are many who are deceived into thinking that they're saved when they're not, as Jesus says. So how do we know, how do we know that we really are saved? Now, thankfully, God has not just left us to guess or to speculate about it. In First John, here he'll give us uh, one of. If this evening we'll see the first test that he gives us to see whether or not we really do have fellowship with him. So we're going to look at that this evening, the first of a a series of tests that he gives us uh, in this book to see whether or not we really are saved. Now, as we get into this, before we get into the text, I want to remind you some of the historical context of the book, so we can see what John is particularly dealing with, and then also apply it broadly as we ought to. So you may recall, John is going to be responding against false teaching going on in the church that he's responding to, or, or writing this letter to, and that teaching is of Gnostics, of Gnostic teachers, those who say that the physical world is bad, and that the, the spiritual world is all that really matters. And what they did is they would separate the body from the spirit. The true person's is the spirit, your body doesn't matter what you do. And what that would, happen, what would that would result in with these people is they would say, hey, whatever I'm doing, it's not really sinful because I'm doing it in the body. And who cares what happens in the body? The body doesn't matter. In fact, salvation is just being liberated from the physical world, so all this doesn't matter. It doesn't affect my spirit, which is pure. So what would happen is these people are doing all sorts of who knows what types of sin and heinous things, and they're saying it's no big deal. And John's responding to that here, as we'll see in, a, in this weekend in the next time we get together in the, the First John series here. So that's the particular issue of how somebody can know whether they're saved, and he's responding to these Gnostic false teachers who are living these sinful lives but denying the sinfulness of it. And although the Gnostics are particularly in view here for John, this issue that he gives us applies for all people on all times, whether you're a Gnostic or not. Okay, so it applies to us as well to, to judge these things and test ourselves. So with that being said, by way of introduction, let's go ahead and, and jump into the text. Look at First uh, John 1, uh, 5, verse 5. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. Who's the him? Well, that goes back, harkens back to verse 3, where he says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the hymn, that the message they've heard from Him and announced, is the message they heard from Jesus. Now remember, who's the we? Still continuing on from verse one to four, the we are those apostles that ministered under Jesus there, that were his, his disciples, right? He's saying, This is the message that we heard from him and that we proclaim. We were commissioned by Jesus to spread his message, and here's what we're doing: we're spreading his message message. It's important also just to remember that he's saying this is not a message that originates in John's mind. This is a message that Jesus gives to his apostles, and they're sent out. It's a a message about Jesus's work, his public work, and his public ministry. Recall the Gnostics would claim to have some sort of secret knowledge. Well, John says, no, this is a knowledge that Jesus gives, and he gives it to not just one person, not just me, but we all of the apostles, and we spread that message out. It's a public ministry, it's a public message, not some secret knowledge. So he's saying, the message we receive from Jesus, we announce to you. And here's what he says. The message is this. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, this is the message that they heard from Jesus. This is him summarizing a teaching of Jesus. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, obviously, darkness and light are opposites. They can't go together. They're unmixable. You can't mix them, right? And in scripture, there are two metaphors that light and darkness are used for that are relevant to this passage. There's two, two metaphors that, that light refers to something and darkness refers to something. And the first of those metaphors is this, is that light equals truth and darkness equals lies or error or falsehood. Okay, so in this sense, God is light in the sense that his, his word is absolutely true and perfect. There's no lies, there's no deception, there's no falsehoods, no errors, none whatsoever. It's pure wisdom, pure knowledge. His word is truth, okay? God is light. There is no darkness. There's no error. There's no lies deception in him. Psalm 119, 130 speaks of God's word in this way. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. See, he's revealing truth to us, right? Likewise, in Colossians 2, 3, he says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're in Christ. They're in God. He is light. He is truth. In John's gospel, he sets forth Jesus as the light who brings forth the truth of God, the truth bearer, and thereby brings the message of eternal life in himself. Jesus gives us the truth of the gospel message. For example, in John 1, 4 and 5, he says, In him, that is in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Right? So here light refers to the truth of Jesus and eternal life in him. Likewise, later on in John 1, 6 to 9, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He was a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Again, here, light refers to the revealing of of the truth about Jesus into the world. Now you might notice, in both of those texts, light and life are put, put together. They go together, they're placed together because of this, that the light of the revelation of God is, is the way by which we can know how to have eternal life. So by the light of his word, we know how we can have eternal life. And other scriptures say this as well, like Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life, and your light we see light. You see, when God sheds the light of his, his word, we can understand life, eternal life. Isaiah 49.6 puts it similarly, it connects light with salvation. It says this, prophesying of Jesus, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, there, there Jesus is prophesied as one who will bring the light of the gospel all over the world. So here when we talk about light, we're talking about light as truth. So God is truth, his word is truth, it's perfect truth. There is no deception, no error in it, no falsehood in it. And God is light in that sense. Now the second metaphor that light and darkness refer to is light equaling righteousness and and darkness equaling evil. So God is light with regard to his perfect, holy, moral character. So light refers to his righteousness. This is used also throughout scripture. Isaiah 5:20 says woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. So it's used in parallel with good and evil, light and darkness are metaphors for it. Psalm 119:105 and 106. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your ordinances. So the word of God refers to uh, the word of God as a light that helps us to obey his commandments. And then Paul uses this same type of metaphor in Ephesians uh, 5, 8 to 12. He says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret." So you saying, live righteously, live in the light, don't do the unfruitful works of darkness. Right? Do what's right, don't do what's evil. Right? So light and darkness here refer to righteousness and wickedness, right, respectively. So Jesus, taking these two metaphors for light and darkness, light referring to truth, and light referring to good, and then darkness referring to lies, and darkness referring to evil, he connects them, really, in John eight twelve, where he says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John Stott said this about this passage. He said, In this passage, a moral element is also discernible. The effect of light is not just to make people see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. So you see that? It teaches you the truth, the light of God does, it enables you to walk in that truth, walking in righteousness. And that's the point uh, that John aims to make here in 1 John 1, 5-7. Light gives us the truth of God to see and enables us to walk in righteousness. And that's what we'll see as we go through. So God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, in the sense that God's word is perfect, it's true, there is no error, no lies, no deception, no falsehood in it. And God's character is perfect. He's the standard of righteousness. He can never be charged with wrong because he is what is right. He is light, perfect moral perfection. Right? So the message that Jesus taught, according to John here, the one that he taught his disciples, is summarized in that way. God is perfect truth, and he is perfect righteousness. So therefore, his point that he's getting into is this. If one really has fellowship with God, if one really knows God, the God of light, the, God of the, the light of the truth and the light of righteousness, that's going to characterize that person who has fellowship with God, who is light himself. So if you really know the God of light, that light will be characteristic in your life, and we'll see that as we go. So that brings us now to the first test that he gives. He stated that fact, here's the message, God is light, and in him there's no darkness whatsoever. Now what do we do with that? He says this in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is the first of a series of sayings where he starts out with the phrase, if we say X, Y, and Z, then here's how you respond. Basically, all he's saying is, if someone in the church says this, then this is what you should think about that, okay? We have a few of those, as we'll see, we're only going to cover the first one this evening, but that's the idea here. If somebody says this, here's what you should think about that. And the first thing that he says is, if someone says, or if we say, we have fellowship with him, but that person who says that walks in the darkness, then here's what you should think about that. They lie, and they don't practice the truth. Okay? So if we say, we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So again, what's the claim that the person is making? They have fellowship with God. What does that mean? That they know him in a saving way. In verse 3 of chapter 1, John already told us one of the purposes of this book is for us to have fellowship with God. He says in verse 3, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. You see, if one doesn't have fellowship with God, they're not saved. If one does have fellowship with God, they are saved. See, fellowship means that you have peace with God, that you have an intimate relationship with him. And the only only way that's possible is through Jesus saving you, Jesus justifying you, bringing peace between yourself and God. So the issue here is somebody's claiming, yeah, I'm saved. I have fellowship with God. I know him. He knows me. I'm a true Christian. But at the same time, this person is walking in the darkness. So that's the claim. I have fellowship with God, but this person's walking in the darkness. Now what's that mean? Yet they walk in the darkness. Well the term walk in scripture is just a metaphor for how you live your life, right? A Metaphor for how how you conduct your, your lifestyle. And darkness, as we just saw before, refers to a way of life that is one of error, one of falsehood and lies, one that is of evil and immorality. This is a person who doesn't really believe the truth, and they don't live righteously. They live a, sinful, a habitually sinful lifestyle. Paul uses, again, this same concept, these same metaphors, in Ephesians 5. So if you hold your place in 1 John, you can turn over to Ephesians 5, uh, verses 5 to 12. I don't want you to see this, because it's a very similar idea. Ephesians 5, 5 to 12, Paul gives us the same light and dark analogy with regard to um, immorality, and righteous living. Ephesians 5, 5-12 says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, here's the key uh, metaphor here, for you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. that's what we see. We see a contrast here in in Ephesians of what it looks like to walk in light and walk in darkness. Somebody who's walking in the darkness is one who's walking in sin and in error. But Somebody who's walking in the light, he says, the fruit of light is what? uh, Consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, right? We have here something interesting. Paul ends up using a mixed metaphor, right? The fruit of light. Well, literally, light doesn't bear fruit, but he's using a, 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 a metaphor. That is uh, an analogy that that is also used in Scripture for the same thing, fruit. Bearing fruit, bearing good fruit, bearing bad fruit, same idea as walking in the light and walking in the darkness. You can see by how you're living what you really are. And that's the, the, um, the illustration that Jesus himself used, the fruit illustration to see whether or not you're saved. Luke 6, he says, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bush. The good man of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So the analogy of light and darkness also carries over to the same idea of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. And while considering that issue of fruit... I ended up doing some research about some some plants, some trees, and some fruits, and I was studying, and I came across this, and I thought this was, I don't know if amazing is the right word, maybe fascinating. Uh, You'll see what I mean as I read this article. This is a, a tree called the Manchineal tree, and it produces a fruit called the Manchineal fruit. And this is what an article said about this particular tree and its fruit, the Manchineal tree. It says this. The conquistadors referred to the fruit of this toxic tree found on the Florida coast and throughout the Caribbean as little apples of death. But it's not just the deceptively sweet fruit that resembles a green crab apple that can kill you. The manchineal tree is so toxic that pretty much every part of it can seriously mess you up. The milky sap that oozes from it can blister and burn the skin on contact. And the fumes from its burning branches and leaves can lead to blindness, if you happen to be downwind of the world's most poisonous bonfire. This tree is so nasty that the Guinness Book of World Records declared it to be the most dangerous tree on the planet. Eating just one bite of the Manchurian tree's beech apples can cause vomiting, damage to the digestive tract, and death. The sap of the tree is said to have been the end of the famed explorer Ponce de Leon who was hit with a poisoned manchineal arrow fired by, fired by the Calusa fighters whose lands he sought to colonize. I thought, wow, what a scary tree that is, right? Now, think of this scenario. Now you learn a little bit about the manchineal tree and its fruit. Let's say that we're, we're hiking on the Florida coast, right? And we come across in our hike, a Manchineel, there, we look up on the branches and we see manchineal fruit on the branches of a tree. What kind of tree is it? Well, it's a manchineal tree, because manchineal fruits on the branches, that indicates it's a manchineal tree, right? But what if, this is the scenario, we come across that tree, we see the manchineal fruit on the branches, but somebody has taken a sign and nailed it to the trunk, and the sign says, delicious orange tree. Now, what kind of tree is it? It's still a manchineal tree, right? But how do you know? The sign says, delicious oranges, right? Well, you say, well, look, look at the branches. That's the manchineal fruit. Therefore, it's the manchineal tree, right? No matter what the sign says, the fruit is the true indicator of what kind of tree it is. And the same exact thing goes for people. See, someone can claim to be a Christian. They can claim to be saved. They can claim to have fellowship with God. They can have that sign nailed to themselves that says, I'm a Christian, right? But yet the fruit that they bear says otherwise. It's that poisoned, deadly fruit, the Manchineal tree. Their life doesn't bear that good fruit, but bears bad fruit. They walk in darkness, not in light. Their life is characterized by habitual sin, rather than the pursuit of obedience to God. See, no matter what claim they make, no matter what sign they wear, the fruit always tells the truth, right? It's not simply enough that they profess faith, they have to actually possess faith. See, what, goes, what John goes on to say about such people, those who claim to be saved and yet walk in the darkness, that li- lead lives of disobedience, he says this, if you look back at the verse in verse 6, he says, if you say that, that you have fellowship with God, but walk in the darkness, he says, we lie and do not practice the truth. See that? If somebody claims to be a Christian yet walks in darkness, he says, they lie. They're liars. His, the, the person's claim to have fellowship with God is a lie. The sign on the tree is a lie, because the fruit tells the true story. In fact, this person's whole life is a lie, isn't it? This is a person who claims to be a Christian, right? They're a member of the local church, but being a member of the local church is a lie too, isn't it? Because they're not really Christ's. They're not really worshiping God. They're not really in the body. They're not really unified with believers. In fact, this person's interest in the Bible is just intellectual or emotional, when the Bible is read, he's not hearing the voice of his master, right? Jesus isn't his shepherd, although he claims that he is. He says, Lord, Lord, but he's not hearing the voice of his shepherd. He may even consider the Bible to be God's word, but it's not the word of his God, because he does not know him. His interest in the Bible is not what it appears to be. See, his whole, his whole life is a contradiction to his claim. His simple lifestyle contradicts his claim to be saved, to have fellowship with God. Walking in the darkness is contradictory to being claimed to know the God of light. If you you say you know the God of light, yet walk in darkness, it just doesn't mix. They can't go together. Light and darkness can't mix. You have one or the other. See, if light fills the room, then it's not dark. You can't have both at the same time. So those who claim to be in fellowship with God, who is light, yet walk in darkness, John says they're lying. just can't be. It doesn't add up. He says they lie and Do not practice the truth. Truth, notice, is not something only that we believe, something that we practice, something that we do, right? Remember what John Stott said? He said, the effect of light is not just to make people see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. See, we can see the truth and know the truth, and then that enables us to walk in the truth, to practice the truth. But the person in the darkness does not see the truth, and they do not walk in the truth either. They lie. The false believer doesn't live, in other words, he doesn't live in the, according to the revealed will of God. He's a hypocrite, a fake, an actor. He's self-deceived. He's not the genuine article of a Christian that he claims to be. So if we say, here's the first thing, if someone says they have fellowship with God, yet walks in darkness, that person lies and doesn't practice the truth. Now all of that, is set in contrast with the genuine believer who walks in the light. Look at verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. See, walking in the light means that we believe the light of the truth of God's revealed word, and we walk according to his commandments, the righteous living. See, so we don't walk in darkness. Walking in the light is the opposite. Of that. We're not walking in sin and in error and deception. We're walking in the truth. We're practicing the truth. We live according to what God has revealed. That characterizes the person walking in the light, just as the opposite characterizes the person walking in darkness. So he says here that the true believer walks in the light. In fact, he says he walks in the light as he himself is in the light, referring to God. It's interesting there. In verse 5, we saw he said that God is light. And here in verse 7, he says that God is in the light. So God is light and is in the light at the same time. How does that work? What what does that mean? Well, think about it. It's it's really quite simple. Since God is light, the source of perfect truth, the standard of perfect righteousness, everything he does is consistent with his own character. He is light, and he always walks in the light. He always walks according to perfect truth and perfect righteousness. He never contradicts himself. He's always walking in the light because he couldn't go against his own character. See, the source of light is always enveloped in that light, right? You have these light bulbs in here. You don't have a, a light bulb emitting light, but it, the light bulb itself is covered in darkness, right? The source of light is also covered in its own light, and that's what we have here. God is light, and he walks according to his own light. He walks according to, his own, to the truth, which he himself is, and to righteousness, which he himself is. Paul tells in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He won't go against who he is, his own character. So since he is light, he always walks according to light, always according to truth, always according to righteousness. So when John says here, what he's saying is that if we walk in the light as God is in the light, right? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that means that we're walking in a way that's consistent with how God walks, according to truth and according to righteousness. The opposite of walking in darkness, but imitating God. We're not walking in error and in evil. So he's saying the reason that that true believers walk in the light is because they have fellowship with God, who is light. They're in union with the God of light. They're born again by the God of light, so therefore they walk in his light. They have God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling them and enabling them to walk in the light. Remember Ezekiel 36, 27? He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. That God enables us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Paul says, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we bear the fruit of the spirit. Right? He bears fruit in us. And likewise, since we have fellowship with God who is light, we bear that fruit of light, as he says in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We're in the Lord and we are light in him because of our union with him. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We are in the Lord, we're in God, God is light, and therefore we walk as children of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what a true believer looks like, one who walks in light As God is in the light, they walk in the truth. They believe God's word and they live according to His commandments. So, next here in verse seven, John tells us that that walking in the light—that if you're a person who walks in the light, according to the truth of the message of God and according to His commandments, His righteousness—he tells us that's evidence of two things. This is important. It's evidence of two things: one, that we have fellowship with the church, and it's evidence too that our sins are forgiven by Jesus. First, that we have fellowship with the church, he says. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We already saw in verse 3 of 1 John 1 that he says he wrote these things so that we too may have fellowship with the apostles, and of course with the Father and with the Son. So if somebody believes the apostolic message about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the true Jesus who is truly God and truly man, If you believe that, then you do have fellowship with the apostles. And if you have fellowship with the apostles, he says you have fellowship with God, right? It's important to understand this, though. He's he's not saying that walking in the light makes you have fellowship with the church. He's saying that if you walk in the light, that's evidence that you have fellowship with the church. Do you see the difference, right? We have fellowship with the church for a more ultimate reason. We have fellowship with church because we have fellowship with Jesus, but we don't have fellowship with Jesus because we walk in the light. We have fellowship with Jesus because we believe in him, right? But walking in the light is evidence that we truly do believe in him. So when we believe the message that the apostles proclaim, like the gospel message, we have fellowship with God because through believing the gospel, we have peace with God. But the issue that John's addressing here in this section, 1 John 1, 5-7, is how can you know that you truly believe that gospel and don't just merely say that you believe it? We say we have fellowship with God, but how do you know you really do? And the answer is this. He says, if you walk in the light, that is sure evidence that you know the God of light. But if you walk in the darkness, that's sure evidence that you don't know the God of light. So walking in the light is evidence that you have fellowship with the body of Christ, that you actually know him and therefore are unified in his body. So, so first, walking in the light is evidence that you have fellowship with the church. Okay? But walking in the light doesn't gain you fellowship in the church. It's just evidence. Think of it like the tree. The, the fruit on the tree tells you what kind of tree it is, but it doesn't make it that tree. So when you see oranges on the branches, that tells you this is an orange tree. It doesn't make it an orange tree. It is an orange tree, because orange trees bear oranges. Right? The, the fruit is the evidence, but it doesn't make it the orange tree. It always is an orange tree, and then it bears that that fruit. So the first evidence Uh, the first thing that that walking in the light is an evidence of is that we have fellowship with the church. We have fellowship with one another. And then secondly, in verse 7, it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light is evidence, secondarily, that we have uh, have forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And really that phrase there, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins, is a summary of the gospel message, isn't it? To Jesus by shedding his blood takes the punishment that sinners deserve for their sins, and in doing so, he's taken away the filth of their sins so that we're clean in God's sight. We're acceptable to him now. On the basis of Jesus' shed blood, we have fellowship with God. We're accepted by him. Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Why do we have confidence to enter the presence of God? Because the blood of Jesus. And the same idea is here in 1 John. So those who truly believe the gospel have all their sins washed away by Jesus' work. But again, it's important to understand this. The issue that John deals with here is not that we have our sins washed away because we walk in the light. No, he's saying walking in the light is evidence that you have your sins washed away. That's the bit, it's a huge difference there. Remember the fruit, again, right? The, the fruit on the tree tells you what kind of tree it is. So bearing good fruit doesn't make you a born-again person. Bearing good fruit indicates it's evidence that you are a born-again person. So walking in the light doesn't save you. It's evidence that you have been saved by the God of light. So walking in the light is evidence that we're saved. It does not save us. In fact, side note, and we'll cover this next time, this text tells us something about what walking in the light means or, or doesn't mean. Walking in the light does not mean that you're sinless. We need forgiveness for our sins. In fact, next time we'll see what John tells us the correct attitude towards sin is. And it's not claiming that you're sinless. Believe me, that's his main point there. It's confessing our sins and recognizing that we do need forgiveness. So walking in the light does not mean sinlessness, but it does mean your life is characterized by those things of walking in the light, by walking according to truth and righteousness. So to the main point then, this text tells us that there's a similarity between The people who walk in the light and those who walk in the darkness. What's the similarity? They both claim to have fellowship with God, right? Those who walk in the darkness and who walk in the light both claim to have fellowship with God. But he tells us there are crucial differences, vast crucial differences between those two groups. For those who claim to know God and walk in the light, he says, that's sure evidence that Jesus has forgiven you. If you walk in the light, he says, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sins. You have fellowship with the church. You really are saved. Walking in the light is evidence of that. That's the fruit that indicates that you're saved. But on the other hand, those who claim to know God and yet walk in darkness, John says that their sins are not forgiven. See, the blood of Jesus Christ does not cleanse them from all their sins. They're still in their sins. They lie and do not practice the truth. They're still dirty in the sight of God. The contrast is is vast and huge. Those in the darkness, even though they claim to know God, they don't. They don't have fellowship with him. They don't have peace with him. But those those who walk in the light, that is sure evidence that, in fact, their sins have been forgiven, and they do have fellowship with God. For those who walk in the light, they are those who truly believe the gospel. And God says this for those people in Isaiah 118. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So John tells us that how we can know if we truly believe this gospel. He gives us this test, this first test here. Do you walk in the light? He if you walk in the light, then you are saved. We really know Jesus, and our sins are forgiven by his shed blood on our behalf. But he says, and he warns, if you walk in the darkness then that is sure evidence that you do not have fellowship with God. You don't know him, truly. No matter what you claim, no matter what title you wear or sign you put on yourself, our, your sins are not forgiven if you walk in the darkness. We are not in fellowship with God. We're not saved. The darkness, walking in the darkness is sure evidence we've, we've never known the God of light. So, in conclusion here, what, do we, we, what we have here is our first test. He says, I write these things so you may know you have eternal life. Well, here's our first test to see whether or not we have eternal life. Do you walk in darkness, or do you walk in the light? In other words, do you live according to the light of God's word, according to his truth, and follow the light and righteousness of his commandments, and trust in the true Jesus, truly God and truly man, trust in him alone for your salvation and what he did for you on the cross? Or, on the other hand, do you walk in the darkness? Do you live for yourself? Do you follow your own ideas, your own passions, your own rules, and reject the commandments of God and live a lifestyle in a habitual way that contradicts your claim to know the God of light, the true God, the true Jesus? If you claim to know Jesus and yet walk in darkness, he says that you lie. And we're thankful for the clarity of that. So it's very important that we take that to heart. Now, if that's, if that's you, if you know, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm lying. I'm a fake. You need to know that God is powerful and that he does change the hearts of the most rebellious, the most deceived, the people most hardened in their sins, the people who are walking in the darkest darkness. It's those people that he saves, and he enables them to walk in the light. He sheds light in their hearts, and they see. God calls upon you to call upon him call upon the lord for mercy that, that he would be merciful to you that he would forgive you of your sins grant you repentance so that you would turn away from all of your sins and that you would bear fruit so that you would know that you have eternal life because you would walk in the light which is sure evidence that you know him he says this ezekiel 36:26 god says moreover i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i'll put within you and i'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. To those who walk in darkness, he can transfer them over to walk into light. He can save them, he can change them, he can forgive them. May God do that for any of us here who are walking in darkness. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we do thank you for your word and for this scripture passage that you've given us a test to know. Like myself and like I'm sure so many others who at one point said we had fellowship with you but did not, that we walked in darkness although we claimed to know you. I thank you that you have saved me. I thank you that you saved your people out of darkness and brought us into light. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any others who are currently self-deceived or any others who are currently living a lie, that you would save them as well, that you would do what only you can do, change them, forgive them, bear fruit in them so that they may know that they have eternal life. And I ask this for Jesus' sake.